we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hello and welcome to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Dimitri, and today we had the immense pleasure of interviewing Guillaume and Thomas from Soil Capital Farming. Soil Capital Farming offers farm management services and independent advice in the field of regenerative agriculture. They mostly operate in Europe, but they have many projects running internationally. They're experts in farm transitions from conventional to regenerative agriculture, and with their vast experience, their team has developed a unique transition approach with a deep consideration and understanding of local contexts and farm economics. The first part of this interview will focus on this approach and regenerative agriculture in general. In the second part, we'll talk about some fascinating work they're doing in alley cropping systems. Agroforestry is clearly becoming an, incre an increasingly important part of their work, and we're excited to share their story here. This is quite a long, in information-dense interview, so make sure that you use the table of contents we have prepared for you below to navigate to your favorite parts. I hope you enjoy. Guillaume Thomas, welcome to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. It's really nice to have you here, and yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Dimitri. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Dimitri. It's nice to, to see you today and, uh, and to uh, take part of this uh, nice project. Now, thank you very much for you guys accepting to come on. And uh, I know you're super busy traveling around the world, consulting and doing your work. And, uh, and actually, that would be a good way to start is, is to, ex to explain to our guests what is soil capital farming? What do you guys do in your day to day? What's, what's your job? And, and, you know, how do you interact with farmers? Yeah, thanks. Um, maybe, um, maybe to give a bit of background, um, we can, uh, you know, like introduce a bit ourselves, where you come from, and, and how we came to to create this 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 project and this this company somehow. Um, so maybe I, I can start. I'm I'm Thomas Lecomte. Um, I'm an agronomist by training. Um, I I actually grew up in a cattle uh, ranch uh, in Africa. Uh, when I was a kid, and I spent the uh, first nine or ten years uh, in large-scale livestock operations, since my my father was an agronomist, and uh, it it quite quickly um, immersed me into uh, large-scale uh, farming activities and and gave me the the taste of uh, continuing to be in contact with such operations. And um, when I finished my uh, agronomy study uh, in um, in Belgium, I quickly decided that I wanted to to continue having this this type of experience, and I've been uh, uh, working in Africa, um, basically somehow following a little bit the same uh, tracks of of my father because I've been working the same uh, large scale farming operation uh, for five years, uh, which gave me the opportunity to be exposed to um, operations like um, mob grazing and handling uh, large herds of livestock for uh, grass-fed beef production. Um, and then I moved to another project for another five years, um, where I was in charge of a large-scale crop farming operation, 
which by the way, uh, funny enough, is the, the project where we met with, with Guillaume. And we've been tra already traveling together by then. And I, I will let Guillaume explain also maybe this part of, of, of the project. But um, this is how finally, I, being a general manager of farming operations, uh, in that crop farming um, business, I was in charge of also, you know, the finance and the commercial aspects. And because we were managing um, farming operations together with financial reporting, I quickly understood how changing farming practices, looking at soil health has a direct impact on the profitability of, of a business. And I really um, wanted to, to continue making something out of it. And when we came back, uh, my wife and kids in, in from I mean from Africa to Belgium in 2015. I, I joined Sol Capital, who was just um, freshly uh, founded by um, <clears throat> a friend of mine and, and two other partners, um, Nicolas, Chuck, and Alex, who are the original founders. And uh, this is now seven years ago, and I've been uh, since then working in in the, in the business um, as a, an agronomist, and then coordinating different um, operations into farm management and advisory. Um, that's a bit of my background. Um, Guillaume, I don't know if you yeah, yeah. Say if, if you were. <clears throat> Thanks, uh, Thomas. Um, yeah, on, on my side, I, I'm also a Belgian uh, agronomist based here. Um, originally, I grew up on a farm. My, my, my father was a farmer in, in center, the center of Belgium until uh, my, my 14th probably and then um, uh, that actually and obviously uh, led me to uh, to get fascinated about farming uh, since i was uh, little so i always grew up on different farms on, on my father's side and mother's side and then after after my studies uh, i uh, i also quickly uh, went into some um, advisory here in Belgium, uh, working for um, a small uh, cooperative in the southern part of Belgium, advising farmers on their uh, operations, but more um, technically, let's say, uh, regarding chemical application and fertilization and all those kind of things. And then um, after a couple of years, I got a bit tired of the commercial aspect of that uh, of that uh, profession. So I, I wanted to... Uh, divert a little bit my um, my uh, my career into something that is more independent in terms of uh, selling stuff <laughs> and then i decided to also uh, um, take my backpack and, and leave for africa <clears throat> and uh, i i started working in probably 2007 in in uh, in, uh, in cameroon and then uh, and then moved to drc where i stayed for for 10 years uh, and uh, I've been starting to work in DRC in perennial crops, plantations in central DRC in the middle of nowhere uh, with my girlfriend at that time who became my wife later. And then, um, as Thomas said, we met on a, on a project a couple of years later when we, uh, where we, we, we collaborated on the, on the management of a, of a large-scale farming operation. And um, and where we really had the opportunity to to test and implement a very interesting uh, farming uh, principle uh, on that uh, on that farm and led us and and for, let's say formed our DNA in terms of uh, or transformed our DNA in terms of agronomy I would say um, and and that's that's also con together with that experience what convinced me. Uh, throughout the years, all these years that I'm talking about, uh, to, to really shift my mind in terms of agronomy is the fact that uh, I was 
we're trying to travel back to Belgium every uh, every year uh, to say hello to the family. And when we were traveling, it was during Christmas time or New Year because it was uh, um, end of the no no not not uh, not New Year sorry but really end of the the winter time so more March something like that after the planting period and everything in Congo. And uh, each time we were traveling back to Belgium, I was seeing the. The, the farmland in Belgium that was tilled and, and um, from from the past autumn and left bare uh, without enough cover crops and without enough um, you know uh, soil coverage and uh, throughout this year uh, I could see really that the the soil was depleting and it's uh, it's something that really struck me after ten years when I came back to Belgium and did a full uh, year of farming uh, advising or farming uh, works in the in the in, in the family farms that I understood that uh, there was a really uh, drop in, in organic matter around my area and that led me really to to uh, get my my uh, agronomical DNA stronger in terms of uh, how can you uh, can we try to revert the system and 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 and, uh, and that also um, uh, made me um, um, <clears throat> willing to to um, to join that that uh, that, that company, uh, Soil Capital, at that time, where I met back when I came back from from Congo, uh, where I met back uh, Thomas and, and Nicola, and, and we decided to 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 work together and, and keep on 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 on, on advising and, and working with different clients around uh, Africa and, and Europe, trying to really foster this kind of, of agronomy around, and uh, and that's really the. The, the the yeah the emergence of the of the idea of uh, you know uh, another agronomy uh, in my mind anyway and why that led me to to be what I am what I am today anyway and I'm I'm curious as to when you you started you joined soil capital farming when or when did that shift happen when you started seeing things differently and thinking wow I need to I need to change uh, we need to change something here. Well, it's actually, it started a little bit throughout all these, these years when I came, came back from, when I was in Congo and I was only coming back, you know, um, every, um, every year, uh, to, to say hi to the family. And, and, uh, really that, that shift, uh, to me, it was around, I would say between 2008 and 2010, something like that, uh, around those times uh, where really, um, that struck me a lot because you know we, we have this kind of, of climate where, where it rains a lot during the winter and less and less during the springs like like we have this year. Uh, we are in the middle of a drought in Belgium, and 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 you see these outstanding rainfalls in 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 the in the winter that are actually uh, slacking the soil down and and making that that thick crust that is isn't allowing the the, the the water to to penetrate anymore through the soil surface and that's that's striking for an agronomist you know when. We have grew up in that region, and you, you've seen the change uh, across those um, those decades uh, just by observation. I would say uh, uh, that's really something, and and it's it's being translated today through the, 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 the figures. When when you talk to soil labs in this area, we we they, they, they confirm that there is a huge change across these decades. There has been a huge change across these decades in of soil organic matter, and we know the reasons. Uh, and we know also th- that there are solutions, but we need to design the pathways for these solutions. So that's that's my motivations today to to work together with 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 the team and and and, and to do what we do. Yeah. 
And that's what I imagine that's the problem that Soul Capital uh, at the beginning and now Soul Capital Farming has set out to solve. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So you just nailed the, the one of the interesting topics. So we, Soul Capital was the, the and is still the original company who is today really focusing on, on the carbon um, program for farmers in Europe and, and, and probably soon more globally. Um, and Soul Capital Farming is uh, like a sister entity that we we um, created uh, now about an, a year and a half ago with the idea to keep on um, uh, proposing to farmers, landowners, and other um, corporate farming entities uh, solutions in terms of services for farm management and advisory or technical support to um, help and accompany um, farmers to uh, into a transition towards more regenerative practices. Um, so we, we clearly, uh, on a daily basis, uh, apply what we call today the regenerative agriculture principles um, that can also be compared to agroecology. But I mean, we, we have our, like our definitions that we try to stick to it. Um, and the idea is really to focus on um, soil health as the main driver to, to profitability, but also main driver towards uh, better impact in terms of uh, climate change mitigation, soil erosion uh, mitigation as well and all the, the rated um, uh, positive impacts. So that, that's the, I would say, the quick definition. And uh, what soil capital farming is doing more concretely um, today, um, <clears throat> so we are a team of, um, of uh, five uh, persons today uh, in, in the business. Um, we are very much uh, farmers-oriented. Actually, um, like Guillaume and Nicolas, they, they both have their own farming operations, so they you know, kind of have a skin in the game as well. When we advise farmers, we, we somehow know where we come from. And um, with a small team, we, we, we deliver different uh, services. In Belgium, what we do is really managing farmland on a daily basis. And Guillaume is really in, in charge of that. Uh, he, will, he will probably explain better than I. Um, but then we also, um, more remotely, more away from our home, we provide a consulting or advisory services. Um, we've been doing that quite a lot in Africa, thanks to our network. And then we shift a bit, uh, we shifted a bit to uh, Eastern Europe and then more recently to uh, Latin America since uh, about four years now, where we are quite involved, especially in Argentina and probably now in, in the neighboring countries like uh, Uruguay or Chile, uh, where we uh, <clears throat> engage with farmers and landowners who uh, are yeah, again, willing to, to change their practices. We believe in the the, um, the role that uh, farmlands play in our today's uh, society's challenge, and um, it has been a quite quite um, <clears throat> amazing experience so far. And uh, to see how how far we can we can uh, impact uh, and and accompany these farming systems both in Europe and, and outside Europe to to change. Yeah, and what, what's amazing also is to see the difference in speeds, you know, and, 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 and context, uh, because obviously when, when Thomas is traveling over there or Nicolas and, and we, we meet back in Europe or in Belgium to, to discuss uh, our trip, uh, it's always very funny to, and exciting to hear the stories and how do we, uh, 
how do they do over there to meet these objectives and 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 what are the nice idea that you guys have brought back to uh, to the table this this time so that we can test new things in belgium and and also the opposite i hope yeah the other <laughs> so, that, uh, so that we can balance out a little bit our, our experience and, and 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 get get these these move, movement somehow going faster in in the different programs that we have uh, under uh, our own responsibilities here in belgium and 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 also abroad and and to well, to conclude uh, on on our operational experience uh, i would say that uh, the, the main difference between um, what what we were f- willing to have in in our own uh, company dna is is really the the the, the farmers aspects we, we want to stay uh, farmers uh, we have as thomas said uh, two of us uh, myself and uh, nicole and myself we have a, a small farming operation for our own but we also wanted to keep in the in the dna of the company a uh, 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 a real farming experience on a daily basis and the only place where we could do that is in belgium because we are here we we can uh, take the car and be anywhere in 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 less than an hour because belgium is small obviously and and therefore we um, we started designing and building up a network of uh, of relationship which slowly led us to a to a, a list of, of customers who, were, who started being interested in, in, in our approach and, and uh, gave us the responsibility of their farmland. So what we do here is that we are um, communicating and interacting with them on a very um, open, transparent and regular basis so that they, they understood what are the plans and they can rectify the objectives if they want to. And, and aside from that, based on the objective that we, we designed with these uh, uh, people, is that we also uh, um, uh, engage with contractors, uh, mechanical contractors that are uh, selected within the region to uh, realize the operation that we want to do. And, and we have, um, I would say, across the whole farmland that we are managing here in Belgium, we have 30, 40% that is inorganic and the rest is in conventional. But uh, the whole uh, area is managed under the, those those region practices, I would say. That's fascinating, and uh, you've got a, a unique experience of being able to accompany all these farms and so many hectares through a regenerative transition. And I mean, I've got way too many questions to ask you in order for it to be reasonable for an interview. Um, but one of them that I'm going to have to select, and it's I've been dying to ask somebody who can give me a proper answer is, you know, often we say when you transition to regenerative, that's going to imply a reduction in yields and, and an increase in costs. It's not necessarily, it's not something we hear everywhere, but it's, it's, I think it's a belief that many farmers carry with them. And I'd like to ask you that question. Is that, you know, how does that play out in practice through the farm transitions in Belgium or abroad, you know? Well, it's a good question. It's true. It's, uh, it's something that we also hear very often. Uh, something that we are always uh, keeping in our mind because it's uh, it's very uh, important to be able to address this question com- f- with, with uh, maximum of, uh, of security and uh, and also with a maximum of credibility uh, so that the movement carries on, you know. But um, what I'd like to say is that uh, when 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 we are willing to embark into a transition, uh, the, the the first step is to design a pathway uh, of that transition. Um, and that's what we try to do with the farmers. Um, 
uh, or with the landowners is to to engineer the pathway uh, that is split in uh, on a timeline, which may be from one to five years, one to ten years, one to fifteen years, depending on the context and the and the objectives. And and uh, first of all, I would say that the baseline uh, should be well understood um, for. Um, us to be able to generate a sound uh, scoring of the farming um, uh, activity as it is at the start or the or the farmland I would say and allowing us also to understand uh, where are the, the weak and the better spots in the farms uh, that could be for example through uh, yield uh, historical analysis uh, soil analysis and everything and this enables us then to, to set up reason, reasonable milestones throughout that timeline so that at least you don't rush into something that you have read on the paper or listened to the radio, but you actually design what you have read or uh, seen into something that is more adapted to your own context, but also into a, a time frame that is making sense regarding uh, to your own context in terms of uh, farming perspective, but also in terms of market terms of uh, farmland fertility, I would say, in terms of organic matter restoration and all these kind of things. And, and, and that's, to us, it's, it's, the, it's really a crucial point because if you don't do that and you start uh, rushing into uh, no-till while you're, you're or, or minimum tillage, let's say, while your uh, fields aren't ready for that, uh, it's true that you start experiencing these drops in yields and these high cost of production and these kind of things. But if you allow, you, allow yourself to, uh, you know, milestones your objectives and give your uh, enough time, I would say that this enables the, the, the farmers to approach the, the project carefully and, and maximize its chance of success and, and also um, reduce, the, you know, the risk of yield decrease and, and, and cost of production uh, increase. In, in terms of, of profitability and, and the fear that farmers have um, by potentially losing profitability, when you say lower yields, higher cost, it, it's not always the case from what we see, um, is that what we try to do is keep the same levels of yield in general. And we do that um, by also um, increasing the diversity of the cropping systems. Most of the farmers in conventional would, would, uh, would go with uh, two, three crops, four crops a year. We try to increase the, the level of diversity when you have uh, more much diverse um, cropping system, cropping rotation, you have more resilience. And basically, it helps to keep, on average basis, the yields stable. And in terms of cost, uh, because we're going to try to reduce gradually um, pesticide use, but also synthetic fertilizer, I mean, all these costs, especially today in the context of uh, wars and, and, uh, and the international challenge that everyone knows, uh, automatically will are not going to increase the cost. Um, most of the time, they, 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 they reduce the cost. So on the longer term, same yield, lower cost means better profitability. Um, it's sometimes easy to say like that, but that's, that's, what, that's what we see in general. Yeah. And so the, the techniques that you usually, like the, the, the top three techniques or the first techniques that you use when you go into a farm and you want to create a transition... You started mentioning one of them, that's diversity. So you're diversifying the crop, yeah. which is really interesting from our perspective in terms of, as we're going to talk about later, agroforestry, which one of the opportunities, but challenges of agroforestry is diversifying the farm. And that's an interesting one. Sure. Um, 
But then you've also got, I imagine that you're also working with cover crops as yeah. like one of the top techniques. You just get in there as soon as possible. You know, tell me a bit about those like initial steps for a farmer. Yeah, <clears throat> it. Um, I think the first thing to say is it depends a bit on the, the region or even the, the continent where we work because the contexts are a bit different. Even though we always end up using the, the whole set of principles, the whole toolbox, I would say. Um, if I talk about uh, Latin America, um, just to compare a bit with uh, Europe and Belgium, um, in countries like Argentina, most of the farmers are already uh, using no-till techniques. So the, the, the tillage is not so much of a problem. Uh, and, and it's one of the main principles of uh, regenerative agriculture is to uh, reduce as much as possible tillage. So we, we don't need to start with tillage because it's already done and, and quite well managed, I have to say. While in Europe, uh, most of the farmers are uh, using plowing and, and deep tillage. Um, on the other hand, um, what we see uh, missing in, in farming systems like uh, Argentina or similar countries is that the level of diversity in the conventional cropping system is very low. And they would crop only spring crops, maize and soybean, most of the time based on uh, GMO techniques and, and technology, um, which means very low diversity and also most of the time very low ground cover. So they, they, they would not use cover crops all along the year. We can see now there's a, a very interesting movement. So people... Uh, and, and farmers reintegrating um, permanent covers and cover crops. And we, we are trying to accompany that and, and uh, convince farmers to use uh, cover crop between the cash crops and, if possible, to uh, multi-species cover crop, which is a, a, great, um, a great opportunity to, to increase the, the vegetal diversity in a, in a farming system. Um, yeah, yeah, for, no, no. for Europe, it's um, well, it's it's, a bit, it's, uh, it's 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 a bit what we what 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 we're gonna do today is is, is really complete the, the explanation from from one end of the world to, with 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 what we see in Europe, let's say, and 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 our our experience, I would say, in Belgium is is a bit different because uh, of the reason Thomas mentioned, and uh, and and here often what we've been experiencing with the farmers as, as a first step is actually a phytochemical reduction, or I would say even optimization. Uh, not only speaking about the numbers of liters per hectare that you're applying, but just, just trying to focus on the environmental of that, the environment of that, uh, of that chemical, which is the water, uh, where is it, where it is mixed with. So working on the water quality is, is really something that is necessary uh, to, to guarantee a very good um, a spraying operation so that you can actually uh, put the, the chemical in, a, in an environment that maximizes its chance of success just by working on, the buff on, on buffering the water, trying to adjust its pH, trying to adjust its calcium content, its temperature sometimes. Uh, even is it's it's um, well is is uh, it's pH, but I already said it. So it's it's really something that allows the 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 active ingredient to be more uh, performant. And and once you're starting to solve these kind of things, uh, you you can start being a, a bit more um, accurate on the quantity you're, that you're applying per per hectare. And then we have seen across uh, some of the farms that in Western Europe that we 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 are engage with is that uh, a, a reduction of, of 20 to 30 percent of the of the chemical is quickly achievable just by um, 
in terms of budget, I would say, uh, just by adjusting those 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 first factors. And and um, and then once you start discussing with the farmer, you just uh, uh, decide to reinvest that buffer of money into into cover into something that is more diverse because obviously the cover crops are something that is uh, quite um, uh, routinely um, uh, adopted here across uh, across Europe but uh, a better diverse cover crop mix is something that is sometimes missing uh, for uh, economical reasons so let's say okay if you if you take some some savings on your chemical side just reinvest them on, into cover crops and you start having denser cover crops with uh, with uh, not necessarily uh, plenty uh, species, but you know more than than three, four, you start having five, six uh, different species, and try to resonate also the cost, so it doesn't start costing uh, huge amounts of money. Uh, I would say around uh, forty to sixty euro per hectare uh, in terms of, uh, of of seed mixed. And then uh, once you start having these uh, these cover crops that are well developed, certainly well established as well, you you start to have better biomass. And then you you start having a better root density into your soil profile, and that's where you start having the the, the discussion of uh, how to approach uh, tillage simplification uh, in my system because I see that my soil structure is better. I have better uh, rooting system along the the in in the top twenty centimeter, which would allow us to to go for no-till or minimum tillage and stop actually plowing because I, I can use the the plants as a, as, a, as, a, as a guarantee for my soil structure maximization. And it's a gradual transition. You know, reducing costs, reinvesting that in seeds, gradually reducing tillage, diversification of, the, of annual crops and of grain crops produced or cereals produced, that doesn't necessarily require a radical shift in strategy by the farmer. It's not like the farmer suddenly needs to do, you know, like sell in through different channels and, you know, in, uh, invest in new machinery. Um, we're talking about something quite continue, like, you know, something where the, the, the status quo is a bit maintained. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's why I was trying to explain with the, with the transition that we try to design. And it's also, uh, it, it's also nice for, 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 for us, but for them as well, because they don't uh, fear that there is a huge workload to uh, overcome a new workload on top of the, the ones that they already have to overcome suddenly so that they can uh, really aim for these kind of objectives. Uh, it's, um, yeah. yeah it, <clears throat> it's really about gradual transition, like, uh, incremental step-by-step transition, because um, it, it really reflects with the nature of uh, farming and agriculture, which is a long-term process. There's not ne- never something you can change in, in one or two years. Um, and especially in challenging uh, farming environments, we, we see that the best, um, in general, the best farmers are the ones who are proactive instead of being reactive. And the, the farmers who are proactive really are able at some point to set a vision at more than uh, maybe 10 years or even 30 years. How do I want my farm to look at in 2050, for example? These are really the questions that makes the difference. It doesn't mean that next year you will completely change it into the visions you see in 30 years. But once you set the vision, then you can gradually, uh, with the, taking uh, into consideration the, the, the various challenges and contexts of climate, of uh, maybe political situations or economical crisis, then you can follow a path. And um, 
that makes the difference in a in quite a safe way for the farmers. And another another aspect as well, I think, is that we constantly try to um, look at farms transition in a very holistic approach, um, meaning that we we mainly look at agronomical practices, of course. Um, the majority of our systems are cropping systems, but we also work in livestock operations. Now we do a bit of agroforestry. We, we probably will discuss a bit about that. But we also look at, you know, other aspects of the farming operations like uh, uh, human resources, organizations, the financial aspects of a farm. How can we sometimes better structures, uh, costs and revenue? Uh, and this holistic approach, I think, is maybe one of our difference or the, 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 the way we like to work is to, to consider all the aspects because they are, they are crucial at some point. Uh, a farming system is a wall, is something complex, and um, you cannot change one, one detail or you cannot push in one level without affecting the others. So you, you need to understand globally. Right, and, and, and in Belgium, the one more thing that needs to be added to that is the the the, the, the urbanization pressure, the, the the social pressure that is existing around the farms. Uh, we have a, a huge population. We are a dense populated country. Uh, we have less and less farmers, but uh, these farmers are all surrounded by houses, gardens, kids, schools, whatever, and 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 there is a strong split or strong. Um, gap between what the farmers are living today, the reality of the life, and what what the, the people are understanding from the farmers, and vice versa. And, and we need to rehabilitate that gap as well. So, um, considering that into a transition allows the the, the 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 landowners or the farmers to actually build up slowly a story around their farms, a story that is. Uh, making, sense. making sense for the for, for the for the consumers so so that means that at the end uh, you you start reactivating a little bit this this communication with the, the direct neighbors and they start getting back uh, getting an interest back into what the farmers is doing and and stop saying okay the guy is polluting again or or, or spraying uh, spraying stuff that I, I, I don't want to see around my house and blah, blah, blah. so it's it's also something that is interesting yeah, that's, I, I can just imagine that being a, a, one of the big strengths of regen regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And even more so about agroforestry, because now it's become such a hype subject. You know, you hear it nearly, not in the news, but I mean, it's something that is that people are hearing more and more about and that everybody loves, you know. Trees on landscape, it's put trees everywhere. And um, and it's, um, of course, this is not, not the case in all contexts. I've already been in places where people said, I don't like trees so much because I like to see far away. And that was the cultural, that was the cultural. And, and I think there's quite a few places like this. I know two places actually in France like this um, uh, as a local subculture. But let's, let's, let's save agroforestry chat uh, for, for just a bit. Because yeah, yeah. for me, um, one of the things that it's making me think about uh, is the, um, you know, you you you're presenting um, a transition here, which is slow, gradual, which is, which it seems to have less risk for the farmer, as compared to a radical change in, in practices. Something that uh, that you can also we now have the the knowledge to 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 create this transition safely, thanks to companies like yours, etc. So, what are the biggest challenges for the farmers to actually transition? I mean, why is are we not seeing more farmers transitioning? For example, I mean, there is, of course, an increase. We're aware of this, but 
But what's I'm, we're always trying to think from the farmer's perspective here, in the sense, what are farmers fearing? What are they? What are they? What do they? They perceive as being an, an issue. What what kind of psychological barriers are you guys solving for them? For example. Yeah, it's a it's a good question because uh, that's uh, often why we try to understand why it's not taking a you know a faster a rhythm into conversion. But the, the 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 first the first point that comes to my mind when when I hear these questions is, and that's that's an observation from from what we can see in in Western Europe anyway. Uh, uh, elsewhere uh, we need to see, but in in Western Europe, it's I would say in 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 the farming systems is the family pressure. Uh, and, the, and the neighbor pressure, I would say, because uh, the, the the risk of uh, seeing your neighbor starting to, uh, you know, um, uh, d- discussing your your new adoptions and trying to um, uh, make you lose your confidence uh, confidence into your into what you are trying to do. And also the elders' pressure, the grandfather and the father that has always been doing these kind of things that way. Uh, and but who are not um, taking their time to trying to understand what the new generation wants to put in place into the farming family business, and but at the same time also they are not leaving enough room to that younger generation who is trying to, you know, open up a little bit the farming perspective on the on the family system to to to, to shift a little bit or to redesign the farm into a new. Um, a new uh, way of uh, of farming. So I would say that's 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 the problem number one. But that that's that can be solved through you know communication, education, knowledge, and everything. So knowledge would be probably the the the, the second uh, the second point that uh, that is a limiting factor for the adoption of this kind of system, and that's what we try to also uh, overcome based on the experience uh, that we have in Belgium um, when we when we are traveling is to try to initiate or, or uh, stimulate the farmers to to gather. To, to work together because you know farmers are, are very independent in their in their job in their responsibilities in their uh, objectives they, they are uh, most of them are working alone and 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 that's developing a mindset which is sometimes uh, not allowing them to easily gather share experience tell them okay I'm doing this 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 for that 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 reason and and also build up a system that is probably stronger together. Uh, but that's one of the, the things that we have tried to do uh, at Sol Capital. At the initial of Sol Capital, we have participated to the participated the, at the setup of a, of a farmers association, uh, which is today uh, gathering 80 farmers uh, in, in in southern area in the southern area of Belgium. Uh, just uh, as a, we just wanted to to meet that objective of trying to. Uh, have these farmers meeting together, exchanging, building, building up knowledge and communication, so that it helps them exchanging and also uh, re uh, um, well, get them more comfortable in, in their in their in their change or in their choices anyway. And then the mm-hmm. third the third one I would say is market for me, uh, yeah. market access, uh, with, with which is also something that's yeah, sometimes it, difficult. Yeah, yeah. Probably depending also on, on, on the region again and the, the geographies, but uh, market access can be um, a barrier to uh, more regional adoptions. Um, and I think that's also why, in, in every um, almost of the project where we work, we try to uh, raise the awareness of the farmers to try to 
uh, access or develop when they can new markets with the more added value products that will help the farmers to keep more of the added value or the margins that he uh, he uh, he's creating sorry uh, in, in the farm by by his operation so um we can see that we can see the, somehow the, the wind is is changing directions um, in Europe in, in different continents the consumer wants something different zero pesticides or also more looking at um, climate change impact or you know zero carbon products and uh, there are some interesting opportunities as well for farmers when they can um, uh, pool together and and maybe sometimes co-invest into developing new uh, value chains or new new supply chains for you know local markets but also uh, that are integrating new practices that will really differentiate uh, a product in the end uh, in, in the hands of a consumer but um, that will also reward the farmers for the practices he's doing that's one of the opportunity it can be a barrier at some point but the that's the challenge now is to transform the, the problem into a solution a, a, a sentence that we like uh, is, is saying that uh, stop stop thinking per ton but start thinking per kg per kilo uh, which which uh, when you start understanding um, or, or explaining what we mean behind that is is really when 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 the farmers are regrouping themselves into small cooperative uh, or small uh, initiatives anyway to to gather higher volume of differentiated products Uh, they can start, as Thomas was saying, to, to keep the added value by themselves, start investing in a mill, start investing in a press or, or whatever uh, pieces of equipment that allows them to actually uh, stop uh, selling uh, their product per, 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 per ton to the, the local cooperative, but start selling per kilo to the direct to the consumer. And that's where you keep the added value for yourself, actually, and, and start beginning, building up a little bit more and better the, con the financial aspect of your operation. I mean, I, I think this subject is one of the most uh, important and fascinating subjects to talk about. And, you know, I, it seems to me that the, the the food industry is not necessarily cooperating at the moment with the scaling of the regenerative practices. We're hearing stories here and there of, you know, certain uh, multinationals that are starting to really, at least you see it on their websites, starting to back Regenag. Uh, Cargill, for example, etc. But it seems like it's a challenge for the farmers that are practicing these regenerative agricultural practices to get a higher price for it. I don't exactly understand the mechanisms behind it in the food industry, and it may not be the right time to, to, to talk about this, but it's, it's, it's not all farmers will be necessarily interested to or want to uh, be, um, you know, starting to invest themselves in marketing. And, um, You know, I, I don't know what feedback you provide from from your experiences, uh, personal and of your clients. No, no, it, it's a super interesting topic. It's um, it's coming uh, a daily topic of discussion, basically now in farms and in, in different value chains. Um, it's uh, I think it's not not super clear yet, but what you, we can see is that these all these uh, food food and ag industries are really now understanding they they have a role to play. Um, and they, they can bring interesting solutions also to farmers and um, they are definitely part of the games uh, in terms of uh, changing the practices and I think there are interesting uh, initiatives more and more that are coming on the, um, on, on the sector 
where uh, some companies now try to work with uh, premiums uh, for farmers when, when they agree to change practices or to support then transition into um, some specific guidelines of, of uh, crop or livestock production. Um, and these, um, yeah, the, these premiums or these um, uh, systems are really, um, I think they are the initiation of something that will really uh, help more and more the farmers to get more value from, from what they're doing. It's a, it's a super interesting um, topic to observe. Yeah. And they, they have, a, 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 as you said, a huge role to play because they are, I mean, they have the whole uh, um, product, or not production, but supply or like marketing chain, let's say distribution chain already set up. They have the capacity to be able to, to, to create that or to, to create a transition there and to be able to, Put pressure on uh, on supermarkets. So, uh, provide new uh, concepts, new uh, marketing, also ideas to the customer. It yeah. seems that they we we need them to be able to create solutions for the farmers. As you know, some farmers, as I said, will be happy to be able and and have the capacity to do direct selling, whilst others will just not. Right. That, that's why most of the farmers. The, the best way to uh, I would say to to do that is is really to. Uh, um, gather farmers around one initiative so one cooperative for example so that they can you know be together share the story together and 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 try to build up a one message to uh to uh, for, for that for that cooperative that cooperative actually discuss with with the different uh, uh parties of the supply chains that are you know uh, interacting uh, with these kind of products uh, because you know small farmers that are alone in their in their regions and they don't always take the time to uh, to address these these major uh, factors while why everybody is, is is completely aware that is something that is necessary but when when we are it's the group effect anyway so that group effect will actually uh, help you uh, you know getting faster and better into these kind of communications and and added value uh, um right mm-hmm. To, to, to your product and probably one, one of the last point that uh, that is probably keeping the farmers from transitioning is is the capital uh, that's something that we hear as well sometimes you know the, the capital requ- requirements in terms of uh, investment into equipment and machinery and everything um, I say that but I'm not comp- I'm not convinced that it is a, a limiting factor uh, I'm just um, we are just observing that it's, it, it's often the subject that comes back into the table. I say, yeah, but I don't have the money to buy a, a direct seeder or to buy a, a specific roller or, or other type of equipment because my, my, you know, my, my yard is, is equipped in such a way and I'm not going to change anything. So once again, the, these kind of things are taken into account when we are designing the transition pathway, uh, saying, okay, we, we, we're not going to ask you in, in, Two, five, or ten years to shift, uh, or two or five years to shift all your equipment into some kinds of something that is more specific. But we are, are going to take our time to to walk into your yard with you and try to see whether there isn't any adjustment that are able to be done uh, in 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 the equipment that you have. Um, or sometimes, and and back to my uh, my point where we were, uh, I was explaining that uh, we've participated to the creation of a small. Uh, uh, non-profit association here in Belgium that is uh, gathering farmers around the uh, region ag. Uh, what that non-profit did is actually the non-profit bought the equipment and rented to the farmer members that 
that are part of the group at cost so that the, the farmers could start experiencing with uh, that that planter that roller that specific equipment how to use it in my context how to use it in my cover crops in my soil type and everything and they they were able to to take their time adjusting and testing different, uh, you know, um, uh, parameters and our adjustment on the planters, and um, and uh, without spending too much uh, money because it was just rented at uh, at a very low cost per hectare, and uh, and what what that non-profit is seeing now is that some of the farmers have actually stopped renting it, but they bought one. We were convinced that. Uh, that's the good machine. I know exactly how to use it. I've been renting it for five, five to six years now. So, okay, I've got the capital requirements now after that period of time that, uh, that allowed me to test it, to test the technique. Uh, let's just, uh, let's just go for a new one. Very interesting. Uh, I'm going to throw one last question about kind of the regenerative agriculture transition before we shift to agroforestry. You know, we we hear stories from farmers in the in um, in the US, for example. Those are the stories that I've heard of farmers that have been doing this for 20 years, practicing no till, no till organic at times, and that have managed to reach a point where they have like immensely reduced their their fertilizer inputs and um, and their cost of production whilst maintaining um, um, yield, but especially whilst having much healthier plants, uh, plants that are much more resilient um, and resilient in the face of illnesses, pests and diseases, but also climate change. Is that something that you're expecting to happen? Is that, or is that something that is more of, you know, is that just a story or is that something that you're, you're expecting to see in the future? I'm talking about this, this plan that, uh, Thomas, you suggested of, you know, farmers think, thinking about 30, 40, 50 years down the line. Where do you expect this to go? Well, um, <clears throat> I'm not, not sure it, it directly answered the question, but let, let, let's try to, to get to that. But I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a nice um, definition of uh, what, what what a farmer is. And that definition came from uh, Dwayne Beck, which is a, a renowned um, researcher and, and farmer in the U.S. And he said that the best uh, definition of a farmer is someone who takes sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide and turn them into products that can be sold. And the more uh, efficient you are in using all these um, sources of, uh, of input, I would say, being sunlight, water, or carbon, the more efficient would be your system. And uh, if when you look at, um, again, uh, the next uh, 50 years ahead of us in terms of farming operation, well, the farms that will really get through it and, and, and be more efficient will be the one who are uh, efficient in uh, nutrient cycling, who store carbon more than they emit, who are uh, energy positive as well. You know, when you make a kind of a balance of the, the, the calories that are going out in the system, it's, it's a nice point to, yeah, perspective, a point of view, uh, but also efficiency in terms of uh, water, uh, water storage and, and harvesting in a farm. Then we also uh, mention here um, the, the ability of soils to um, to store uh, water, the water uh, sequestration capacity of soils. And then uh, the, the the last two aspects I think are zero synthetic pesticides um, into the systems. We, it, it's clearly also a big trend today in Europe. I think each year there are more than 10 or 20 uh, active ingredients that are cancelled and removed from the market. So 
it, it's a never-ending, um, uh, I would say, race, like we say in French, towards a zero pesticide situation. It's quite clear in 15 years from now, 20 years from now, they, they, they will be more and more farmers who, who don't use pesticide at all. So it's start to think about it right now. And then um, the last topic is maximizing the ecosystem services um, because the, it's clear that the farmers will, they will bear the cost of the externalities of their system. You can have positive externalities, which means a revenue from them. You know, if they store carbon into their system, it means they can probably monetize that and, and transform that into a, a positive externalities. But there are also negative externalities. It can be pollution, can be uh, soil erosion. And unfortunately, these negative externalities are a cost to farmers. So they need to be aware of that and make things happen so that they, they can avoid um, these extern negative externalities by maximizing the ecosystem services, increasing the biodiversity. It's really not anymore only about uh, cropping a field of, of corn or potatoes. It's really about understanding and managing a complex system that has many, many impacts. When you're talking about this, it's not anymore looking at a field. It's looking about, uh, you know, the farm as a holistic system, as you mentioned earlier on. You know, how does agroforestry fit into that? What's the role that you see agroforestry play in order to solve some of these the, the problems that the farmer that the farmers are facing? As I think, as, as you know, as we all know, trees are definitely part uh, for us as a as an advanced um, uh, biodiverse ecosystem, and a farm can be a, um, a biodiverse ecosystem as well. Uh, so trees serve uh, multiple ecosystem services, such as uh, windbreaks uh, for crops and livestock. Um, they, they protect as well from uh, pesticide drift. They can uh, be used as uh, <clears throat> new ecological habitats for uh, for uh, like biodiversity island, you know, for wildlife, also for, for livestock. Um, they provide uh, flowers for pollinators. Uh, they interact uh, at root level in, in the soils, uh, helping to uh, recycle nutrients, uh, improve water dynamics. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, um, of positive um, reasons why we should use more trees in farming systems. Again, it's very easy to say. Uh, the, the question is, how do you really make that happen in a profitable way? And there's, there's different approach. We, we have these uh, small-scale um, trial of uh, agroforestry here in Belgium. Uh, I, I, will, I will let Guillaume probably... Uh, present that a bit more in detail. Um, but I think, you know, if, if, if we take a bit, a little step back, what, so, something that I really like about trees in a cropping system or trees in a farm is that at the moment you, at the moment a farmer or a farm manager start integrating trees, planting the trees, taking care of the trees, uh, pruning, fertilizing, of course, a tree is about long-term. It's about minimum 20 or 30 years. So at the moment you integrate that into an annual, annual cropping system, you directly really help changing the mindset of the farmers who start thinking long-term. Because now, from one day to the other, he has some living organism that will be there for the next 30 years. So it's, it's a very interesting, I think, uh, way to encourage farmers to start setting a long-term vision for their farming system 
for whom most of the farmers sometimes are, you know, thinking year by year. This year I do some weeds. Let's see what next year will bring. And I don't know yet. When you have a tree, you cannot do that. You have to think long term. And it, it's a nice way to, I think, to, to help the transition. Well, and to complement on your point, Thomas, I, I would say that it's, uh, it's also um, an opportunity for the farmer to allow complexity in a system. Because uh, if you want, uh, one of the definitions that we could also try to, to play with is the definition of a region ag uh, farmer. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a tough one, actually. But uh, if, if we try to, de- def- to, 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 to tell it or to uh, de- get that definition on a piece of paper, uh, we, we could say that it's a, it's a manager that is ready to adopt uh, or, or integrate or manage uh, complexity, first of all. Uh, and that can be di- through different different types of, of diverse, more rotational uh, diverse, uh, system uh, into um, into his, his farmland uh, through better cover crops to uh, less soil disturbance, lower uh, input usage, but also through the fact that the, 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 the ma- that manager is ready to host uh, a more complexity. Uh, into a system and, and trees are bringing complexity because it's uh, it's it's slowly shifting towards a, a, like like we used to say a, a 3D farming because you are adding one dimension into your system mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's it's becoming a, a, an extra dimension from the one that you used to see. Um, uh, because you are you are trying to to play uh, in a system that is uh, that is more uh, that is expanding a bit uh, um, higher and and that has, has the potential to go and 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 fetch nutrient deeper in the soil, um, but that has also the potential to come and compete with your crops. So you, you need to be aware of that uh, right from the start and and try to address that issue. Uh, so yeah, uh, this kind of the, the, the fact that uh, that we are integrating either agroforestry or just a patch of tree or or edge rows, for example, in, in around the in the surrounding of your fields is actually uh, uh, another another complexity that is uh, entering into your business and that you will need to to grow with and 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 to get to get educated about because it's it's a new. Uh, a new technology, a new system that you need to integrate, and, and new mechanisms also that you need to to put in your mind and, and in your uh, management system. Do, do you think that you absolutely need to integrate agroforestry in order to be able to to call yourself a regenerative farmer? Taking into account that it's very complex to define regen- regenerative, and maybe nobody here is actually regenerative. It's a pathway rather than a and a you know an end goal but is it you know just, do we absolutely need it well agroforestry is not a must but it's a, it's it's a principle enfin, it's a, it's a tool let's say uh, and 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 uh, and if if we agree uh, together that complexity is a must you need to to, to become a region ag farmer or region ag manager you need to understand how you will bring complexity in your system because complex systems are systems that are more resilient and that that are that will be more uh, prone to uh, you know to find again a, a disease a drought a, a whole bunch of different stress that can act into your cropping system and and uh, and and the farmers or the managers in this transition uh, pathway needs to 
to choose from in the toolbox what kind of uh, tool you want to use to bring more complexity into your system because that will will solve your system and will help you meet the objectives and i would say that agroforestry is one of them uh, but it can be uh, something else I, I can hear the thoughts of Thomas saying it's it's context dependent. <laughs> exactly. <You> know, <laughs> we, we in sense. Mind. <laughs> it's, it's it's exactly that, Dimitri. Yeah, sure. It, it's really context dependent. There are there are farms where it's obvious that you can start with agroforestry directly, and others when uh, you 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 understand that you would probably have to work uh, on, on soils and, and other aspects before reaching. Uh, um the the situation where you integrate trees actually so yeah it depends um i'm go i'm going to share some feedback that we had from uh, or th some thoughts that was shared to us by rowan reed from an interview that we did um focusing on you know trees on farms etc and um and he was saying that the problem with agroforestry and especially alley cropping systems is is that it really reduces the flexibility of the farmer the ability of the farmer to say, you know, oh, this year I'm going to do this and next year the market says that, so I'm going to use this crop. You know, in the sense, it, it limits you because, you know, not all crops are, are tolerant to shading, at least later on in the system when the trees have grown. Have grown. And, you know, you're limited mechanically. It's, it's much more limiting. But what I really like your perspective as well, which is like, you know, actually agroforestry pushes the farmer to be, to be looking beyond the short term and to be starting to think strategically over 30, 40, 50 years and to start to have a plan, an agroecological transition plan over that time. So it's I see that as two kind of different thoughts, different approaches. Yeah, yeah, sure. It, it's really about that. It's really about a, a point of view that, that can be different from one, one family to another. Um, we think that agroforestry or more specifically uh, alley cropping, since you were mentioning that, can be... Um, limiting a, a few of the operations but really when it is well structured well planned in advance and i think every alley cropping with uh, with tree planting with crops needs to be well designed uh, thinking about long term when it is well designed it's not so much uh, uh, limiting the options in the end because like I like Guillaume was saying, in opposition to annual crops, trees are exploring additional space above and below the soil surface. So you, you start really farming three dimension, which means you can have uh, like a constant double cropping operations. If you do fruit um, trees production, uh, for instance, walnut, that's when, when the trees are producing, you have a constant uh, annual cropping operation together with walnut, which, which means you are probably more flexible also uh, in terms of uh, market opportunities. When, when the cereals are less interesting, you still have the walnuts and you can and then you, you can continue uh, increasing the complexity as well by um, adding other species maybe or uh, looking at other ways to integrate trees. But it's, it's, um, it's really like... A point of view in the end who's more flexible who's more uh, restricted um yeah it's it's i don't think it's that that uh, simple to say of course of course very interesting maybe uh, it's a good time for guillaume for us to for you to describe a bit the the five hectare trial alley cropping trial that you've you've set up mm -hmm. um in uh, in belgium maybe to understand what was the objective why why did you decide to do this experiment? What's the, you know, what's the, what's the objective of the project? Mm 
Ouais, ouais, ouais. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plot that is, that is located in central Belgium, uh, in, in uh, south of Brussels. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a block of land that was uh, managed under conservation agriculture since probably 15 to 20 years, so no till and cover crops and, uh, and uh, lots of organic manure. Uh, and then um, in 2016, this, uh, we decided to, uh, to shift this block into organic uh, farming, organic agriculture. Uh, so today it's fully converted and it's, uh, it's producing organic crops. Um, globally, um, it's a system that is, uh, I would say, 80% uh, loam um, in terms of soil quality. So it's quite rich, rich soil. We have 2%, 2.5% organic matter. And the reason why we wanted to go uh, to uh, agroforestry there is simple, uh, one of the one of the reasons is is that we just wanted to bring back complexity into that uh, that that zone. Uh, it's a it's a middle of an open field, a huge open field of uh, several hundreds or or even thousand hectares where you see roughly no trees, uh, no hedgerows. It's slightly undulating, and the landscape is a bit you know. Um, Disappointed, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, so what we just wanted to do, uh, first of all, uh, the, our first thought was to 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 uh, replant hedgerows across uh, around the field or around the plot. So we, we in 2019 was it? Uh, we, we started replanting double yeah. double row hedgerow uh, around the, the fields, around the whole surface of the field, so that we could. Um, have some edges from 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 the drift of the neighbors that are uh, operating conventionally because there is also a risk of uh, of drift from uh, you know from the chemicals that the neighbors may be uh, may be uh, spraying in 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 some uh, in some uh, uh, windy conditions that drift into your organic crops and then you are uh, you don't get the, the certificate for that specific year and you cannot sell your crops. So th that was our goal. First of all, put hedgerows down so that we can protect ourselves from the neighbors. And then it's going to be also nice looking. And uh, so the hedgerows first, uh, we, we, we started designing them by maximizing the biodiversity of the species. So we have uh, 11 species in the hedgerows. Uh, uh, so a whole bunch of different species that were uh, selected based on pollinators on on the fact that uh, we would like to host some 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 um, herds of uh, of animals at some time so that they can come and graze but they can also graze the graze the hedgerows uh, to feed in to feed uh, from from the leaves the buds and then and, and the different uh, pieces of small woods that they can fresh fresh wood that they, uh, green wood that they can get um, and then uh, after that, uh, we wanted to push the, the second gear and, and let's say, okay, let's let's start talking about agroforestry. What can we do? Is it feasible? Is it not feasible? And then we, we hesitated for a long time because simply because the fact that this plot of land is connected to a, a concrete road, a small uh, you know country road, and that's the only road where you can um, that you can use to access that farmland. And, and, and we say, okay, but uh, if we want to put agroforestry down, we should try to aim for north to south alignment uh, so that we are equal and well-balanced in terms of sunlight. 
uh, on the on the, the 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 crops that that keeps on growing between the alley. And you say, yeah, but if we do that, we are parallel to the road, so that means that we need to recreate a road inside to you know to access all these little plots that we will create in between the alley. So we were losing land, you know, uh, and the land in Belgium, it's uh, it's not like the land in terms of value and the land elsewhere. So it's it's quite uh, expensive. So we wanted to 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 stay rational about that. So we said, okay, forget about that north to south uh, axis that everybody uh, is strongly advising and that is completely understandable, and turn it into an opportunity. Let's say that uh, in 15 years. We will have more and more uh, heat stress, um, uh, sunlight stress, uh, dry spell, all these kind of things. Maybe it will become an opportunity uh, because we will shed the crop. Um, who knows whether we are right, whether we are wrong, we don't know. But we, 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 we actually we have a, a north-east to, to south-west alignment, so it's not perfect. But it's, uh, uh, we'll see what's the impact in terms of shade. Um, uh, but we did it anyway because otherwise that was a that was a you know a criteria to just uh, unselect the option and and go for something else. So that's what we did, uh, and then we we started uh, playing with a whole bunch of different ideas in terms of species. Uh, do we go for fresh fruit? Do we go for dry fruit? Do we go, do we go for wood? Do we go for biomass? Do we go for different other options? And, and in our network, we, we, we knew a guy that is uh, 10, 10k away, 10 kilometers away from us, and that's got uh, 40 hectares in uh, in walnut uh, orchard, orchard walnut, and with with pasture uh, underneath that is uh, that that are being grazed by animals. And and um, and we, we we met him a couple of times and. And, and the relationship was was quite nice. We were exchanging a whole bunch of ideas, discuss, discussions on different topics and everything. And he said, listen, guys, if you guys want to put walnuts there, uh, do it. Uh, my harvester is five kilometers away. Uh, when you need it, uh, I can just uh, rent it to you. And then uh, I will build up facilities also to sort, to dry, to... Uh, um, break the shell, all these kind of things so that we can get... Uh, we can maximize the output of the production in terms of added value. And then we started um, going down that option of planting walnuts um, in, our, in, our, in our block. And then came the question of the, the, you know, the variety, the, the, what, what, what kind of walnuts do we plant? Where do we, do we find these, uh, these, uh, these uh, young seedlings and everything? So we, we, we started studying a little bit the market and, and France... Um, is producing grafted uh, walnuts uh, that are quite um, well uh, suited to our areas in terms of um, of uh, climatic conditions uh, because we are we are way uh, we are in way north from from the main walnut production centers of France, which are Grenoble and and, and the other side, the Atlantic side. So. Um, we, I started discussing with these guys and with the different nurseries there, and and uh, and we identified one one variety that could suit us, um, and um, <clears throat> and and we bought uh, two hundred uh, trees of that varieties plus the pollinators that needs to pollinate the the main varieties that was selected, and the pollinators we actually it was a bit of a you know of a, of a difficulty here because we, we we don't know really the the reaction of these uh, these seedlings or grafted seedlings on 
in in our context. So I, I took three different pollinators that that have been planted on the western side of the of the of the tree line, so that they are uh, on top of the prevailing wind, so they can blow their pollen pollen all through down the line, so that. Uh, and pollinate all the crops, uh, the, the the main variety that are that are on the uh, on the rest of the lines. And we took three different pollinators that are starting to supposed to start flowering in. Uh, uh, I think it's on the ter- the fifteenth of April until the fifteenth of May, and that's roughly co- coinciding with the with the main uh, variety that we chose. So that's that's really the story and how we came to identify exactly what we wanted in terms of uh, you know uh, diversity complexity. Uh, what do we choose? Um, which species and which variety as well? Um, yeah. Really <clears throat> Just as a quick wrap up, what's interesting here is again, like we said previously, the importance of <clears throat> identifying local uh, value chain or supply chain that can absorb the market. Going into uh, an agroforestry production, just make sure that there is markets and logistical um, capabilities in the area to, to to evacuate the production. Well, well, exactly. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a huge help to have that uh, the the local farmer five kilometers away. Well, exactly, and it was actually we understood afterwards that the, the the guy is actually passing pretty much in front of our block because he's harvesting the walnuts of another farmer that is five kilometers on the other side. So actually, he's he's he's, he's you know getting close to our field in every every other every year, but he's not going to come to our field uh, before, for the next uh, two to three years anyway because we are expecting uh, production to start. Uh, only in a couple of years and full production in 15 to 20 years from now. So it's, it's, it's or 10 to 15 years from now. So it's going to take time, but uh, yeah, it's, it's true that it's, uh, it's something that needs to be uh, well sowed ahead. And today the, the walnut market in organic is quite uh, strong. Uh, the demand is strong. The prices are quite high. Uh, so, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's even more interesting for us to start integrating our production into a, into um, uh, storage facilities so that uh, and handling facilities so, so that we can get the most out out of, out of the production uh, and start uh, selling fresh uh, fresh nuts. So that's the end goal of it. Um, it's uh, the production is supposed to be. Uh, I think it's going to be 25 kg per 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 tree per year. Uh, on full production, so you multiply that by 200, uh, you've got the tonnage that we've got will will have on on a on a yearly basis. So it's not going to be a whole silo of walnut, but anyway, it's uh, it's sufficient for us to acquire experience to be able to uh, you know to to test the system and uh, and and to be uh, to be good also at at advising also the type of varieties that we need because we we have uh, now uh, we are now building up uh, our experience into pruning into um, disease uh, also monitoring because uh, that's something that needs to be addressed so this year it's quite dry so we don't have any issues but uh, Maybe next year it will be foggy and more moist, so we, you can start having colitotrichum, uh, pro- problems of bacteria, all these kind of things. Um, that variety has been selected for its natural resistance also, or tolerance to these kind of right, of um, diseases. So, yeah. 
I mean, um, um, this is interesting to look at the diseases and pests and how do you expect farmers to re... I'm thinking now about scaling the system, right? So thinking about you doing this as a demonstration and to gain experience to advise others. How do you expect farmers to react to the issue of like, okay, I'm focused on grain farming. This is my job. This is where my knowledge is. And now I need to diversify or I want to diversify to implement agroforestry. And I need to learn how to be uh, a tree farmer now. I need to learn how to observe... Uh, the tree illnesses, how to treat the tree illnesses. How how do you think that's going to sit with farmers? Because, you know, when we're looking at complexity, it's a huge topic that we're really passionate about with Etienne. And it's about, you know, we understand the value of adding complexity to farms, but often that comes with huge uh, costs and, and, and challenges, especially around knowledge um, and infrastructure as well, which is what you've talk, said right now. But how, in terms of this knowledge to learn to, to manage a new crop, how do you see that? What I would uh, what I would advise uh, is, is to um, uh, it's to start small um, by, by just planting a couple of, of trees like that in a pasture where you that are next to your place and, and observe these these kind of uh, trees the, the 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 behavior of these trees into your context uh, so that you can start building up an eye that is different uh, than the, the the arable eye that the farmer may have uh, more uh, routinely. Uh, and 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 try to uh, to build up a knowledge that is uh, sufficient so that you can uh, address the address the the investment that you would make on a later stage to uh, to a larger area, and um, and also it's uh, it's uh, there are more and more support that are becoming available uh, locally by groups of farmers or small uh, you know technical groups that are. Uh, uh, trying to assist farmers, advising farmers independently, also to um, uh, to shift their system into uh, into uh, everything, all the principles that we are talking about, and some of them are uh, some associations are, are are really willing to see more and more trees into the into the system, so are delivering together with the rest of the technical assistance a permanent assistance that can help farmers being alerted about the different uh, pests and disease that needs to be um, uh, followed and, and, and monitored throughout the season. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and, and maybe to complete another way to um, fill the gap of these knowledge uh, um, uh, lacks, if I can say, uh, is um, or oh, the other way to say that is that one of the best way to uh, convince the farmers to do something or change the practices is when the neighbor is doing it. So again, uh, <clears throat> exchange between farmers, associations, etc., are one of the best way also to to slowly convince and raise the the awareness of the farmers uh, towards um, new practices that are not so complex in the end. When you're already a farmer, you, you quickly understand how a tree grows and what it needs to do to to plant them. Um, and then probably one, one additional information is the to, to go back to, to our plot of land. Uh, Dimitri is, is, is the, the way we design the, the system uh, because I haven't we haven't said anything on that yet. Uh, it's uh, so it's I just said it's two hundred trees, but you don't know which, uh, which how it's planted. How it's planted? <laughs> it's it's actually uh, we decided to plant the trees at. Um, uh, you know the the axle now it's north east uh, southwest roughly and then uh, you have uh, in between the alleys you have 34 meters and in the alleys you have one tree every uh, eight meters 
um, and 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 obviously that's that's another uh, difficulty also because uh, you, you, you you need to take into account the fact that we are inorganic and that uh, we uh, we have all bunch of equipment that uh, that are activated for making mechanical uh, uh, weeding and uh, whether you are under uh, cereal grains or in in chicory or in sugar beets or in whatever because we are farming all these kind of crops on that small plot uh, you need to adapt uh, the width of your uh, planting uh, enfin the, the width of the the distance between the alley to the to the width of this equipment so um we are expecting the canopy of the walnut to grow uh, five meters uh, on the on the right and five meter on the left from the trunk of the tree. So we will lose uh, ten meter uh, from in the distance of uh, in that that space of uh, 20, 10, 20, uh, four, uh, 30, four meter. So at the end we will be left with a. Uh, uh, 24 meters that will be used for 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 arable crops and that corresponds to uh, 2 times 12 which is the width of the the mechanical arrow uh, that we use today and that also fits in terms of um, of hoeing uh, also fits in terms of um, uh, sugar beet planting or chicory planting maize planting uh, planters, etc., etc. So uh, it's really playing with the numbers at the, at, at the, at the start to see uh, what, what's, what, what is the width that you need. And and and, and today uh, you put 34. Okay, that's not ideal because you will because today we are farming 33, obviously. Uh, but uh, as the years pass on, we will start reducing down to 24. But uh, you need every year to add, adjust a little bit your system to the the to the space reduction um, and also to add some um, some permanent crops or permanent pasture underneath the, the canopy so that you, you can keep your system clean from any weed uh, and also adapt it to a, a mechanical harvester, walnut harvester that will come and actually harvest the walnut uh, that, uh, that, are, that may be uh, present on the ground. So it's um, well, it's really playing with the numbers and, and understanding what you have uh, in terms of equipment or what the contractors that are making the the, the mechanical work uh, has got. Um, so well. this is uh, it's really interesting to we see with the, with the intercropping. Imagine doing this at scale on a hundred hectare farm, for example, or field a variety of fields, but let's say on a hundred hectares. Um, it seems to be difficult to be able to justify the the, the costs that are incurred and the reduction in, in uh, the reduction in plantation uh, area without having a crop that produces walnuts, for example, like a nut, a high value yeah. cash crop, yeah. which which will which will produce every year. Because what we're seeing, for example, in the experiments in southern France, as you're, as you're very familiar, they've been testing this with uh, black wal- uh, with black um, locust. Uh, with Robinia pseudoacacia, and so the harvest happens in 20, 25 years. So for 20, 25 years, little by little, you're reducing what you get out of the land in order to cash crop, in order to get your cash back in yeah. 25 years. And that seems to be really challenging for farmers to accept. And that's what's also really interesting with your system of looking at you know, how we can work with, with the crop that produces every year. Well, if, you, if, if you if you stick to a fresh fruit, I think it's it's possible to uh, to keep on reducing that part of you know the un- 
unfarmable uh, uh, portion of land that grows uh, uh, under the canopy because uh, you it depends also on your on your pruning system you know what you want to have in terms of uh, of uh, fruiting system here here mm -hmm. you must imagine a walnut is it it needs to to grow uh, you know uh, tall and and wide so that you maximize the the The, the, the production, the flowering capacity, and uh, and um, yeah, and the global production on a yearly basis. Now, if you have pears or apple, you can keep your tree uh, uh, down, um, not as much as possible, but to a reasonable size, so that you minimize the loss of farmland, and you can, you know, minimize also the the, the potential loss in terms of uh, revenue from your arable uh, production. Yeah, it's it really for next year we will have another we'll open up an, uh, another project that will that will be on 20 hectares uh, with with probably, agroforestry. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, not not hopefully, but agroforestry, but either um, uh, dry nuts or but probably uh, and hopefully uh, fresh fruit, so apple. Yeah. There's Stephen there's Stephen Briggs in the in the in the UK that have been that has been working like this with the Apple system and he's got an interesting also approach where you know he says he's not an apple grower and he he struggles he, he doesn't think he has the nicest apples but because he's decided to invest in transforming it into juice he doesn't need to have big beautiful apples without any 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 marks on it and uh, because he's juicing them and so he's playing with the processing in order to fix his problem of not wanting to to become an expert apple grower. Yeah, we we know we know Stephen quite well. We've been to his farm several times. Very nice. Times. Yeah, he's been there as well. So yeah, he's, he's a great farmer, very innovative and super inspiring. Yeah. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to share about the 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 intercropping uh, alley cropping system that you've set up in uh, in uh, in Belgium here? Uh, an, an interesting question that comes uh, often is uh, is uh, and, and, Is, is, is who is funding uh, these kind of uh, initiatives? Um, well, we, we see different, different. There is different possibilities. Uh, uh, what we've seen in 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 one part of Belgium is uh, on one project. What I've heard is crowdfunding, so people that are you know gathering together to help the farming, investing into that that project. Uh, I don't know whether that, may, uh, that that was successful or not, but it's uh, something that I've heard already. Uh, otherwise, what we can get in in our region in the southern part of Belgium is uh, regional subsidies uh, for for, for uh, tree lines. Uh, so you are subsidized partly for for the for the the cost of of the investment. Or is just being funded uh, by the by the farmers. So in terms of uh, in terms of mm -hmm. cost, uh, it's uh, it's really depending on on on, on what uh, on, on what you what want what you have. But in our, in our system, because we bought the walnut in France, they are grafted. They were certified by um, by um, by the local uh, authorities in terms of origin and genetics. So it's um, CTIFL who certifies this type of, uh, of, of tree uh, uh, production. Um, the walnut itself cost, uh, cost us, costed us 20 euro or 19.8, something like that, per, per tree. Uh, but uh, when, when we redid the calculation and the planting cost and everything, we ended up at pretty much 35 euro per tree. Uh, all included, all, included, all planted, labor included, and everything. 
the subsidy that we can get here in in uh, region in Walloon uh, area is uh, six euro per tree, roughly. Uh, no, no, that's for 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 the investment. So so you you get one, shot. one shot, yeah. Um, the 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 yearly cost roughly uh, per tree when when it will be in you know in production or, or a couple of years before is expected to be around 42 euro in terms of pruning in terms of labor that's a big that's one thread that i see is the access to labor in in in, agro, in large agro agroforestry system uh, but we can talk about that later. Uh, so, you know, fertilization in organic is an issue because you need, uh, at the early stage of the walnut, you need massive amount of nitrogen so that, uh, massive, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> exaggerate, but you need a um, uh, good amount of nitrogen to stimulate the, the, the crop so that you can uh, expect uh, a production to be uh, uh, fairly reasonable as soon as possible. Um, so that's the cost per, 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 per year, per tree, and the expected re revenue per tree per year is around uh, 140. Because you take uh, 25 kg, I said earlier yeah, on, yeah. times four, times six, that's the cost per, uh, per kg of uh, organic walnut. So around year 12, you, you, you start paying back your investment. I think you, you brought up a really interesting um, aspect, the labor one. And that's something that in the region we're working here, um, they've got in olives now and everybody's shifting towards super intensive olives because they've worked out techniques to just need hardly any labor to manage. Like very, very, like every four or five years, you need some labor to come in with a chainsaw to prune the trees because the mechanical pruning kind of just, it needs to be, it just needs to be a bit, um, um, the tree needs to be aerated and needs to be, uh, chosen in a more specific way selecting removing whole branches instead of just topping and creating a hedge and but that's very unique to the olive tree that's you know a hedge uh, it's like it, i mean in a sense it's a bush sorry um and so the the, the but the, but it's it's enabled them to really scale their systems here and to be able to uh, uh, and many farmers are now you know implementing this and are planting these systems farmers that were previously doing for example cattle and stuff so there's there's it's enabling the system to be scaled and farmers to actually diversify uh within a super intensive system of course but you know how 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 do you plan to to solve that issue in the future when you for example scale to 20 hectare apple and i've worked in apple which is uh seven months uh, uh, two years ago and it was so much work <laughs> was scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. really, it's a question, and I'm going to answer by a question because uh, we don't have the, <laughs> the solution. Okay. Uh, we will see uh, today for our small plot. It's just a question of a couple of hours uh, with uh, with one or two colleagues, and we, we do that uh, on a Sunday. You know, uh, but it's uh, it's true that it needs to be scaled. It needs to be explained. It needs to be considered into a project because uh, you cannot be just. Uh, an outsider from 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 this from that that big um, uh, big um, uh, need uh, in terms of labor for picking, uh, but it, it, it's for picking. It's also for pruning. It's also for fertilization. It's it can be for anything, you know. Um, so it, it needs to be uh, addressed. Uh, we we have large uh, you know orchards uh, in in northern Belgium, and they used to suffer from from labor lack. Um, 
these days it seems to be uh, uh, solved uh, because they are convincing people to you know to come back into the agricultural uh, sector to to work um so i think there will be solutions it just needs to be um you know, adapt it also. Uh, it needs to be uh, fairly uh, reasonable in terms of uh, intensity uh, of work, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, design and, and difficulties. Uh, if, it's, it's, if it's a very high tree, it's dangerous because you need to climb up uh, some ladders or whatever, and that's, that's, that's putting people at risk. If it's, a, if it's a lower tree, like I was explaining for for, for fruits, that's less risky, so people would probably come easier. Uh, that's really depending on the, on the fact. And then they, they could have some couple of kg of walnuts at the end of the day. So that's uh, <laughs> that's something that is interesting as well. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's that's something that we we are taking into consideration when we are discussing with, with, with people who want to implement this kind of project. Okay, that's good. Uh, very interesting idea, but are you comfortable with the with the labor approach? Uh, do you see solution in the region? And and if we see that it's not a limiting factor, uh, we we can consider it. But it, it really seems like it's a transition because you know, for example, a pioneer starting without the infrastructure um, will need to find solutions and po yeah. possibly invest in the infrastructure yeah. himself or herself. Mm -hmm. And um, but once you already have. Um, once imagine we have a landscape or like what's happening here. It's not imagine in Portugal here. There's more and more olives, uh, super intensive olives. The machines are there to be rented easily. Um, and the, also they have teams that come in and that do, do training, do pruning, uh, training, I meant, uh, I meant uh, training of the trees. Uh, uh, they come in, they do pruning. They come in. I mean, in the sense, it's all organized. Uh, there's a whole industry there that's set up. And so it's very easy for farmers to think, okay, I'm going to diversify now. And um, and of course, it could be done in a way that's, you know, planting olive trees on a riparian area to be able to diversify. It doesn't necessarily need to be done in in the way that it's been done now, because, you know, we're actually designing systems like this here where the infrastructure is set up and the industry is already very developed here. And so it's the answers are easier. Mm -hmm. Whereas, for example, in your in your situation there, there's it, the pioneer was already here, the farm, the local farmer with the 30 hectares. He's, he's going to be investing in infrastructure and it's going to help a lot. But you know, the transition, as we said, coming back to what we were saying earlier on about, you know, going regenerative takes time. It's slow and it's about organizing ourselves little by little to create, you know, rural areas that can have the capacity to, to manage, process tree crops and to integrate agroforestry, to develop knowledge, communities of farmers that, that connect with each other and share experiences. And I think that's a pattern we're seeing everywhere. It takes time. It, we need to add... You, 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 yeah, then we need to understand that uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a slow process that, or uh, yeah, a process that is uh, slower than what we are usually uh, uh, seeing around, and uh, and that needs to be uh, addressed uh, with a sound decision. Yeah. But the the flip side of the coin is to do it at a certain scale. So to be for it to be, for example, imagine a project coming in and and setting up a, a, a walnut orchard at a, at a solid. At a, I'm talking about maybe doing it on 50 hectares or ag agroforestry with wide spacing, possibly on on, on a wider on a, on even more hectares. And then there is the investment in there, and you know the the investment in technicians, in uh, consultants, but also infrastructure. 
to be able to have to to, to be able to, ver- to 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 carry out all of these uh, different needs by the farmer or by the project itself and that would be another approach to doing it you know to reach those economies of scale to be able to invest to be able to bring in teams of pruners to have the capital and to have the the revenue in order to do so i don't know what you think about that but we're seeing now like with the work of companies like propagate ventures which are really organizing and professionalizing tree crop and agroforestry systems um that they will go will maybe at a point where we can start to implement these systems at a much higher larger scale but i would lo- love to know your point of view on that but it's we we must uh, we must keep in mind the definition of agroforestry where 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 actually the 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 tree or the crop is there to help the crop or the tree you know so once once the once uh, you know the, the revenue are a little a little bit uh, outside of the the expected uh, results uh, in terms of tree you can count of the crops to to buffer it uh, back uh, to to better um, uh, levels and and the opposite as well so um, it's uh, i think it's it's also important to consider these kind of things um, that it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a systems that that is diversifying the revenue of the of the farming operation and that is also helping uh, the fact that on uh, less uh, profitable uh, years you have the the other crop that is there to to take the the relay on the on on the global revenue uh, so that's yeah. that's something that is uh, that is interesting, and what we have kept on doing in 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 that specific plot that we were talking about here is uh, just common uh, annual cropping uh, organic um, um, under managed under organic system like uh, like wheat, like spelt, like uh, uh, chicory, uh, like uh, sugar beet, uh, temporary pasture, all bunch of crops. That some of these crops are re- really uh, uh, interesting in terms of revenue as well, and they are compensating the fact that the walnut is not uh, producing anything today yet. And, and in a couple of years, the walnut will actually generate, maybe not on our case, but on the, the example that you are taking, which is, seems to be way larger, that uh, you, the, the, the expected revenue from the walnut will be way more important, uh, would be way more important compensating the fact that you would uh, probably lose a little bit of farmland and revenue from your crop. and. And I think it's uh, it's an important one as well. Yeah. And 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 one one little uh, thing that we did also to try to even the the production of the tree across the year, uh, because um, it's uh, the the the, the bet that you are doing also is the fact that you are planting a tree in the middle of a winter and expected that tree in a, in five to ten years to to you know to grow in terms of production at a steady uh, rate across these years. And, uh, and what we've seen uh, since uh, a couple of years now is a severe dry spell in the spring. And that can impact quite seriously the, the fact that uh, the, the tree can, can start actually uh, uh, decreasing its, its trend of, of production across the, across the first year. So uh, a small trick that I wanted to share, and that's why I say it here because I, I will forget afterwards, is that we, when, when we were digging the hole, it's a 40 uh, centimeter auger. Uh, that was uh, that was traveling on a on a straight line that was defined by an RTK uh, tractor that ran uh, in front of the of the auger, uh, 
and that auger was digging every eight meters, as I said. So before planting the trees, we took a drainage pipe, you know, that we bought to a, a local uh, a local uh, retailer here, and we cut section of uh, one and a half to two meter, and we actually put them down the hole and then put the trees and then backfilled with the with the with the soil, so that when it's uh, becoming dry, like this year, probably in uh, in two three weeks, if we don't have rain, we'll go with the with the tank and, and, and irrigate directly at the root system. So you, so that's a, that's a system because you, you're just going to pour a couple of liters of water down the pipe and it will, it will feed directly into the rooting system and, and get the, get the efficiency of the irrigation way better than what you could get if you put it on the top. And that's really helping the, the tree to, you know, to guarantee a, a steady progression into its development and then to, to meet the full production capacity as early as possible. And then that would probably mitigate a little bit the risk in terms of revenue, as you were uh, asking. Thomas, you wanted to add something? Uh... Yeah, I, because I was thinking about your, your <clears throat> comment on the scalability of, of agroforestry, which is uh, for sure uh, interesting and a, and a real challenge. I think what, what's also important to take into consideration is the um, uh, the overall heterogeneity of farmlands and how um, a redesign of these farms will somehow accept or uh, will uh, be aligned with agroforestry. And in other words, um, when you when you start small scale, in general, you focus on the best areas where you, you're quite sure that the the trees will grow and you will have a revenue out of it. When you want to scale, you need to take, uh, the more you scale, the more you go wide, the more you need to take into consideration other aspects of farming, such as uh, the, <clears throat> the, the, the overall topography, drainage problems, uh, soils, uh, probably irrigation, um, because of slopes and, and, uh, and, and hills. Um, and I think it's, it's also... Interesting to, to, I mean, I see two points here. It's first to take, uh, to keep, uh, better to say, to keep the best uh, places that are most suitable for trees production and agroforestry and probably leave the other one to focus on crop production when there's a clear difference to be made so that you, you still have a, a diverse system that are maximizing the production on both sides. Um, and on the other hand, uh, when when a farmer wants to, to scale, it's, it's um, sometimes relevant to first start with a more global redesign of the farm as well. Design or redesign, taking into consideration all the, the aspects of the, um, again, um, geology, water, uh, infrastructures, to, to be sure that the, the, the end uh, product or the end uh, design of the farm will be the best suited. Uh, what do you mean by global redesign? But it, it's something we, we do probably less in, in Europe because um, in Europe, like Guillaume was saying, especially in Belgium, there, are, there is a high density of population. So the fields are already quite small and already quite uh, yeah, scattered, scattered and, uh, and already quite... Um, um, you, you don't have a lot of freedom to, to redesign. That's what I say in Europe. In countries uh, where agriculture is more... Uh, rangelands and large scale like Latin America, they have much more liberty to to think uh, out the box and to rethink about optimizing the redesign. And that's what we, we do quite a lot um, in, in Argentina, for example, 
where we focus on aspects like uh, topography, drainage, uh, irrigation, uh, and, and we, we try to follow, you know, these principles of key lines redesign, uh, which is a, a principle that uh, <clears throat> is based on, on, on a series of, of principles, of coordinated principles and systems where the different components of the fields are designed and, and organized with functional uh, and logic areas and, uh, and, and purposes of the farms. And we follow what we call the, the scale of permanence um, that starts very uh, high level going down to uh, the, the detailed level, if I can say. And you start with, first you look at the climate, you understand the global context, and then you get down to a, a topographical um, aspects of the farm or maybe the, ge the geology as well. So we would use some high precision topographical uh, survey to generate uh, accurate uh, digital uh, you know, elevation map to understand how the, how the, the, the land is, is shaped, where the, the water course are, are going, where are the water accumulations area where the farm might lack water. And then you take into consideration the, um, roads in the farms because they're already set, you know, going to change that much the road you can adapt but but not completely change and then you get down to the trees natural trees or forests that are already present and there you go more details infrastructure constructions uh, then the fences and in the end you look at farm practices i think that's that's uh, an, an interesting strategy to follow um, this scale of permanence applying the, the key lines redesign, which we do in, in large-scale farms in Argentina. So the, the key lines principle is basically you, you, you use the contour lines from your topographical uh, survey and you try to reach the optimized or ideal uh, contour lines in between them to minimize uh, the slope, but still keeping a natural slope. And these key lines that you redesign in the farms will help you uh, basically draw future lines of irrigations or future roads into your farming systems in the middle of which you will then start to see, okay, this is where I can put trees. This is where I can really better integrate my pastures with trees or my uh, cropping system with trees. And um, it's, it's just another step um, uh, I would say uh, backwards into thinking our goal forestry is also to start with a, a more global uh, redesign thinking instead of, uh, I mean, before going into the agroforestry design itself. This, this is, uh, 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 it's very interesting that you mentioned the difference between the very, you know, the European context and as you, as you mentioned now, the South American context, because the landscape that we have is different and allows, and it, it forces us to play with, agroforestry in this case in a different way we have to be interacting with it in in a, in a different way and yeah I, I, this is something that we've we've it's very interesting in our interviews because we're interviewing people from all around the place and um you can see that the the, the context is like the organization of the land and the, and ownership of land as well which is another huge topic which i don't think we, sh we shouldn't go into this because it's, we're, i've already taken too much of your time <laughs> but uh it's uh, it's it has such big influence on on the type of system that can be implemented and again we go back to the same thing this is so context dependent yeah exactly yeah and 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 agroforestry again is a large definition what what we 
do or try to do um, in, in Latin America is, is, is not exactly what alley cropping. So it's not alley cropping what we're doing. It's more like building uh, biodiversity islands or using trees as uh, natural fences or windbreaks. Um, but all, always with the idea to um, to build uh, complexity and add uh, biodiversity. But for instance, we would we would we've been planting a lot of um, willow and poplar trees into uh, lowlands. You know where there's accumulation of waters okay. because they are they are uh, trees totally adapted to these uh, humid areas. But also uh, they are. Um, uh, Quick growing, I mean, uh, high biomass production trees, so they, they can be used at some point also for, uh, for for biomass production, if it makes sense. And then we try to mix uh, these species with other um, local species like gum tree, uh, eucalyptus, uh, acacia, or others. And uh, w- what's interesting also is the the nursery uh, story in, in this context because. Um, Trees and agroforestry is really far from being mainstream in, in countries like Argentina. It, it's very the beginning. So uh, when you want to plant a large um, amount of trees, uh, you are struggling a bit finding uh, seedlings or, or cuttings. Uh, and what we did in, in both of the farms where we, we are working is we've been basically starting from scratch creating a nursery with irrigation so that the farm the, the farms can already have their own seedlings and cuttings production themselves on the farms it it really reduced the cost of investment uh, on the on the medium terms before long term and the interesting story is that when when you have a nursery then you are you you sure you're going to be planting like every year because you renew the nursery you've invested a bit in irrigation and everything and then you also create somehow a potential source of revenue because you can start selling seedlings and cuttings to neighbor farms because you have the, the infrastructure. So that's also an interesting story I wanted to share is that uh, when you have the, the scale and the size and you want to go agroforestry, um, then it's, it's probably worth it to have the, your own uh, nursery at some point. And you get the knowledge. And you get the knowledge because, yes, exactly. And you can make more mistakes easily because you can start much, you can test much more species on your nursery. It costs way less. And quickly you see, okay, that species, that that variety basically does not grow. I can see that. So I quickly remove it and you you do your own selection and you you adapt your um, system in terms of variety to your um, context. I, I, at Mazi Farm in Greece, we saved thousands um, by planting our own nursery, even though we made so many mistakes by having sometimes trays of trees that had half full, you know, or maybe we lost whole trays, but still it was worth it because it was such a huge uh, saving. And um, that's fascinating. And it shows the potential of of agroforestry or let's say of, of there's a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, different opportunities for farmers there in terms of diversifying and and yeah and, and very interesting that you're i would love to hear so much more about these experiences in south america but uh, I, I think we're reaching at a point now where it's uh, it's it's quite um i've taken a lot of your time and i don't want to 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 take much more i want to be respectful and um maybe that's an opportunity for uh, a conversation in in the future uh to, to come back on and to talk to this time shift get some more feedback as to what's happening in, in, uh, in Belgium, um, in your plot, but also understand what's happening um, in the projects that you've been working internationally 
And um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff uh, that you, you're, you're going to be able to share with us. But yeah, it's always a pleasure. It's fascinating uh, sharing experience and ideas. And uh, and yeah, congrats again for the for the podcast. It's super exciting listening to all these stories and feedbacks. Uh, so um, yeah, keep on doing that long term again, and uh, happy to reconnect again. Uh, we reach uh, some once we reach the fruit production, for example, in uh, walnut trees. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for making it this far. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did. If you want to find out more about Soul Capital, the links are all below. Get in touch with them, and we'll see you next time.